information and civic engagement. Hello, and welcome to View to the U, an eye on UTM research. I'm Carla DeMarco at U of T, Mississauga. View to the U is a monthly podcast that will feature UTM faculty members from a range of disciplines who will illuminate some of the inner workings of the science labs and enlighten the social sciences and humanities hubs at UTM. We're back for the home edition. Things might sound a little bit different as I navigate recording interviews with UTM faculty members from afar and over various technologies, either on cell phones, through Zoom, or Teams. Bear with me as the sound quality might not be as clear as it has been in the past. The next few episodes, or maybe next several episodes depending on the duration of the physical distancing, is meant to be a brief check-in with faculty members from various departments at U of T Mississauga to find out how their research might be shifting or how their focus might relate to the new reality of COVID-19 and how they are managing in this era of physical distancing. In this episode, I chat with Professor Beth Coleman in U of T Mississauga's Institute of Communication, Culture, Information, and Technology, and in U of T's Faculty of Information Studies about her research, and also about weeding through all of the COVID-19 information that we are bombarded with every day. We also talk about some of the things she's doing during this time of self-isolation, and we might even have a recipe or two to share. Beth Coleman is an associate professor in ICCIT, where she has been on faculty since September 2019. She researches aspects of human narrative and digital data in the engagement of global cities, including aspects of locative media, mobile technology, and smart cities. She has curated numerous art exhibits and media installations within North America and in Europe. Beth is the author of the critically acclaimed book, Hello Avatar, which examines the many modes of online identity and how users live on the continuum between virtual and the real. She is currently working on two books. She obtained her BA at Yale and her PhD at New York University. And so can you, in maybe a couple sentences, just outline what your basic uh, program of research is? I'm the director of a research group called Cities Platform. So it's myself and a bunch of MAs and PhD RAs and also colleagues. Leslie Shade, who's the Faculty of Information, is my co-PI on the Insight Grant we have. And I also have industry relationships. I'm working with Peter Semelhack with Signal Pattern, which is an online platform for authentication and distribution of urban data. Uh, Anna Serrano is a collaborator who's the incoming class of OCAD. So it's a really nice combination of people. And essentially what I'm looking at in my lab is smart technology, which is advanced automation. It's Internet of Things. It's things around data in public spaces or up urban data in relationship to civic engagement. And civic engagement is a very broad title for this can be how do people see the kind of infrastructure that's around them. So, for example, the King Street pilot in downtown Toronto, there's a bunch of IoT instruments used to gather data about how fast the streetcar is going how many people are moving around. 
so that's kind of uh, infrastructure, public works. But then I also look at things such as my collaboration with Michelle Murphy and the Type of Science Research Unit, where we're looking at chemical pollution and on-genon indigenous peoples in Ontario. So different types of specificities can come up when we're talking about civic engagement. And I designed it that way on purpose because I don't want kind of a sense of normative and general public to exclude people and groups who are traditionally marginalized and racialized and these different types of things. I think that we're actually, as corny as it sounds, we're in this together, Mm -hmm. even though we have different histories and experiences. And the COVID-19 health crisis really has brought that to a pitch in terms of what does it mean to have a kind of civic engagement, civic trust of one another and trust of uh, federal and municipal authorities in terms of helping to lead us through this. And as dreadful as the toll is already and will continue to be in terms of illness, stress on the healthcare system, and also this really devastating economic reverberations because of all the protocols we need to have in place for safety, for health. It really has woken us up as a city and as the different communities and also as international people who are part of a global conversation thinking about how are we imagining now and our our future. Yeah, I think there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that part of what you've just outlined sort of leads into my next question about, like, based on your research, how can we best sort through the sort of flurry of communication and information about the coronavirus and the crisis that's coming through on a daily basis? And just being able to decipher, like, credible from non-credible sources and finding the best way to stay informed. Well, I think that we need to always start with authenticated sources. So statements issued by the city of Toronto, statements issued by the federal government, they're reliable. And we might do more investigation around particular things. So for example, two weeks ago, we were told by authorities, we do not need masks if we're not COVID-19 positive. And in fact, we need to make sure N95 masks are safe for frontline workers. And those of us who received that message with the kind of clarity that it was delivered understood it and acquiesced. With that said, my parents are in New York, and in New York you're required to cover your face when you go out with the understanding that N95 masks, they're not available, and where they are available, they need to be safe for frontline workers. So we now have seen a re-messaging around that where governments are saying, protecting yourself and protecting others Everyone should be heading toward covering their faces when they're outside in addition to social distancing. And then we have this kind of beautiful outpouring of all these different people innovating around how do you make a mask when all you have at home are rubber bands? Or what are the best materials? Engineers can help lead us in terms of expert analysis of if you're using a shop towel, this kind of shop towel you want two-ply, this kind of shop towel you want four-ply. So we really want that kind of trusted experience around testing through things. But when you see residents, everyday people, 
innovating, chiming in, sharing, that combination is really powerful. And it's that kind of combination that will help us flatten the curve and get the kind of outcomes that we want from this and not just panic and insanity and fighting each other over resource scarcity. I think I want to stay informed. A lot of the information is really heavy and hard to take. So I'm just wondering, yeah. is there anything that you see as a positive that will emerge from all of this? I just feel like yeah. all the conversations have been very bleak and the fallout from it is substantial. So I'm trying to think, is there some good to come out of all of this? Okay, so here's my feeling about it. I think that this health crisis which is also an economic crisis, has profound impacts nationally and internationally. And it has also underscored some of the things that we've been struggling with as a rich city with really diverse kind of income brackets. Toronto's a rich city, but it doesn't mean everyone in it is rich. Toronto has been going through a really profound growth in terms of technology and the housing market, but that same growth has also made it nearly impossible for young people to afford to live here and for people who are not earning like a a tech salary to be able to afford to live here as well. So some of those points of pain and growth that are part of the city continuing to grow and evolve because things have been accelerated and amplified in terms of have and have not, access to information, even something like access to Wi-Fi so you can get information. We really have accelerated in terms of seeing where there are profound gaps. And the call to all of us in terms of our civic responsibility is how do we want to answer that call? Mm -hmm. So, for example... The numbers I'm most familiar with are the ones in France where it's a 35% increase in reported domestic violence cases. And the government had to figure out how do you, when you tell people to stay home, how do you address an escalation in domestic violence? Those are two different needs. Both are important. Both are people at risk, but they have different modes of how you can solve them. One is isolation. The other is getting these people out of their home and into safe spaces. So you see, like, there's just a whole kind of domino effect of if people are homeless and they're going to be at higher risk, but we don't have enough shelter beds in Toronto to begin with. I know it's all grim stuff, but because there is larger societal impact, if we don't try to fix those problems in a productive way, that type of opportunity that's in hand now, really innovative thinking around problems that we've been living with, but now they've just taken a, a sharper edge because there's a cascading effect around people not being able to observe health protocols and sometimes it's because they can't yeah i think that again it is grim but i feel like at least maybe that is a move in the right direction of trying to figure out some of these problems in a more holistic way maybe yeah one of the articles that i read about germany has a relatively high infection rate and you know it's a larger size eu country but their death rate is remarkably low and trying to look at what kind of framework have they put in place 
that's essentially the argument that was being made in the article is their medical teams are identifying positive COVID cases at the right sequence where they're not shifting to extreme cases. So pre-ventilator, pre-emergency room, medical interventions that help, I don't know if flatten the curve is the right word, but decrease the load on the emergency health services and also help preserve life. So that's really interesting in terms of the types of things that Toronto can do or the types of things that Canada can do because of our medical infrastructure, our ability to be able to communicate information. The other side of it is the emerging work around pre-vaccine, thinking about plasma exchange of people who are demonstrated to be positive, have come through COVID-19 and are okay. And this becomes a kind of neighborly good relation in terms of taking care of people who are very sick. So this is still experimental, like literally people, John Hopkins are just starting trials right now with it. But those kinds of things really help inspire some sense of resilience. And so I guess one of the last things I just wanted to ask you was what are some of the things that you've been doing in this time of physical distancing and isolation to stay balanced and relatively happy and healthy? So I'm lucky enough to have a park right outside my house and we're still allowed to move around in it. So one of the things I've been doing is my 11 year old has been teaching me how to jump with two feet upstairs (laughs) because I'm chicken about jumping upstairs and in the past couple of weeks that we've been isolating I mean I'm not awesome but I've gotten better so those kinds of like small personal challenges mm-hmm. I'm sharing recipes with my sister who's in Arizona I'm just like oh this is you know sequester black bean with bacon soup <laughs> we have local farmers who we used to shop with every Saturday to farmers market now they're doing deliveries. Yeah. So really just trying to engage with our circle of some of this is it's delicious food, but it's also supporting the farmers who they don't really have a, a place in the chain right now in terms of essential services, but they can safely deliver boxes of microgreens. So these kinds of things make a big difference in terms of not feeling too isolated. I am also lucky enough to have a really amazing group of friends who were super active in nurturing and taking care and staying in touch before we were all kind of shuttered away and really have moved forward with hilarious ways of like hanging out together and sharing music and those kinds of things. That's great. And if possible, can you share your um, recipe? We'll link to it <laughs> on our site for the black bean soup. Oh, yeah. I, I wrote it out for my sister on a text, so I could probably find that text and send it to you. Okay. Yeah. I just, I think this has been a great sort of recipe sharing because I, I do the same with my sister. We've been sending each other things back and forth that, uh, you know, she tried the soup that I sent her the recipe for and I'm going to try the carrot cake that she sent me the recipe for. What soup did you make? I do, it's called a detox lentil soup and oh. it's in a crock pot, but I've made it many times now, but it just, it's one of my go-tos. I just love it because you can just have it going, simmering all day. Dinner's done. Okay, so I'll send you my, um... Isolation, black bean with bacon, if you sent me your... Okay, that's a deal. (laughs) Okay, that's all the questions I have, and I just wanted to thank you so much in this crazy time to carve out a few minutes to chat with me. Tell me about your work. It was really nice. It was good to just 
be able to talk about some things that have been on both of our minds and we've had a little bit of opportunity with, but not enough. Yeah, absolutely. I would like to thank everyone for lending me your ears while we are all sequestered and for listening to today's show. And I apologize that the sound quality is not great. I'm still trying to figure out what is the best technology to use uh, while recording these outputs from afar. I would like to thank my guest, Professor Beth Coleman from UTM's Institute of Communication Culture, Information and Technology for taking the time to chat with me and tell me about her work and for providing her sequestered black bean and bacon soup recipe. I would like to thank the Office of the Vice Principal Research for their support, and I would also like to thank the Office of Communications at UTM for their support and for helping to promote the podcast. Lastly, and as always, thank you to the tuneful Tim Lane for his tracks and support. Thank you. Thank you.